The Psalms are often lauded for their poetic and comforting qualities. But they are so much more than that. In this psalm, we'll be nourished and challenged to do the work required in order to grow and allow God's will to be brought to bear in our lives. Reading, hearing, immersing ourselves in the Word is essential. As Pastor Daniel emphasizes today, this isn't optional. We need to know what's in Genesis through Revelation in order to know Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Beautiful Day. This wordless speech of what God has made Every time you look at somebody Even if you look at them a little cross Because you don't like what they just did The fact that you can see them and interact with them Is all to the glory of God It's to the glory of God God has revealed himself in that which he created. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since, listen to this, the creation of the world, his, speaking of God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Wow. Think about that. The Apostle Paul is saying that God is upset about ungodliness and unrighteousness because everybody ought to know better. Why? Because since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in what he created, specifically his eternal power. So God's power is seen, and it says, in my translation, his God, the Godhead, which speaks of his God's godliness, God's godhoodness, God's power and sovereignty. What that means is that the general revelation of creation, although it's general, it's not specific, we'll get to that in a second, that's enough to show us that God is real. And that is where the evolution versus design debate gets into it, right there. Because so many scientists, they want you to believe that there was an explosion in a printing press and it ended up being a dictionary. That's what, in, in effect, that is what it is. They're saying, listen, there's a big bang and everything ended up perfectly. Now, as much as I would like that, I don't have enough faith to believe that. Now, don't get me wrong. Many scientists honestly inquiring will, will see that 
there is an aspect of creation that creation reproduces itself, that it adapts. And all these things, if you're thinking about it, say, well, if it adapts, then it can adapt in all these different ways. But the issue is not macroevolution going from one thing to another thing. The issue is the fact that if you listen to someone like Richard Dawkins, who's the big, very much forefront atheist, he would say something like, if you ask him, and I've heard him do this, well, how did the Big Bang happen? I'm not concerned with that, he'd say. I'm not concerned. And, and I thought to myself, listen, if Richard Dawkins was asleep and there was a Big Bang in his house, I'm quite sure he'd be concerned with how that happened. Because I would be. It just happened the other day. Something fell off of one of our shelves, and I woke up and then hit me. What's going on down there? And I said, hey, it's the 21st century, baby. Quality rules. You go down, check it out. <laughs> You know that whole men and women were equal? Well, I'm tired. You go down. <laughs> now, you know I totally didn't say that. I'll be up here with a black eye, right? <laughs> and all the ladies like, good on you, Lynn. Good on you. Good. But listen, when, when that thump happened, I was out of bed. I wanted to know what made that big bang. And a good scientist will say, listen, it's not enough to say there was a big bang. We want to know what's the deal with the big banger. What's going on here? And that's where, that's where... A lot of this evolutionary atheism, it's not science, it's religion. That's what it is. And if you actually read the stuff, you realize that it's religion. And what's, what's interesting is because they don't call it religion, they call it science, they can teach it to our kids in school. Now listen, listen, I think that as Christians we should embrace science. Because God created things to function in a way that's very logical, rational, that we can't understand. But at the point of the division, at the point of the division, that's where we have to say, listen, I really respect all that you're, I mean, it's cool that we learn about atoms and protons and neutrons, and now we know about things called subatomic particles. If you're a biologist or a quantum physicist, you understand this stuff. I don't. There was a long time, you thought that in the nucleus, there were just protons and neutrons and electrons going around it. And they're like, no, no, no. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what's in the middle of an atom. And that's cool. Why? Because God made all that stuff. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. But see, all of humanity is without excuse, because if we would open our eyes and see what's around us, you have to believe in a God. Or else you believe that an explosion happened in a printing press and you got yourself the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's what you believe. That everything exploded and everything's perfect. It's perfect with the firmament and the atmosphere. And if we lived outside, we just end up going out in the space, but there's gravity here because of the way it spins and its orbit and all these things. That doesn't happen by chance. I don't have enough faith to believe that that was happenstance. It's much more logical to say, listen, when you look at a dictionary, you're like, some smart people wrote this, right? That's right. Even if you look at a children's book, you think some smart person wrote this. Why? Because it's ordered. It's got a flow. It's logical. There's illustrations in it. See, all humanity is without excuse because God reveals himself. Doesn't matter if you live in America and you have access to a Bible or not. In a general sense, God reveals himself to all people and what God has made. And this revelation is universal. It's without words. It's not restricted by language. It transcends human communication. Now, I think we also need to make a distinction at this point. 
Because on one side of the thing, you have the science versus religion thing that I don't really agree with. And on the other side of it, because God has revealed himself in creation, you have all sorts of people who want to worship creation. Now, the Bible teaches that God created everything, but that everything that God created is not God. It's very easy because it says God reveals himself in creation for someone to say, well, then I got to hug this tree. But God expresses himself in creation, but creation is not God himself. Just the way God created you and I, and we are expressions of the image of God, but we are not gods in and of ourselves. And you might say, well, Pastor Daniel, you're kind of splitting hairs here, and maybe I am, but there's all sorts of people who want to worship creation and people rather than the true and living God. And Paul in Romans 1 gets into that as well. We see God's attributes in creation and in each other but we don't worship it. Now, in the middle of verse 4 to verse 6, we really get two word pictures about God revealing himself in nature. And the son is compared to a bridegroom and to a champion, or in some of your translations, it talks about a, a strong man. And so the idea is that because of the son, it shows itself like a bridegroom, And you can imagine a bridegroom coming out of his bridal chamber in radiance with joy. And that's what that all the middle of verse four on in them, he said a tabernacle for the son, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. So the idea is that each day as the, as the sun goes on its orbit around the sky, it's like a bridegroom coming out pumped. It's his wedding day. It's like a strong man coming out to run his race. So there's these two pictures that are used here, both showing that, look, this is what God has done. The sun in its circuit shows God's consistency, his constancy. So from verses 1 to 6, you get the general, general revelation of creation. And my exhortation is stop and smell the roses. Stop and admire what God has made. We live in a beautiful part of the country even if we didn't. There's so much for us to learn about the Lord from what he has made. Jesus said, hey, look at the the lilies. They neither toil nor spin, yet even King Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So when you see a beautiful flower, you think to yourself, even the most Gucci, done-up person isn't arrayed as beautiful as this lily. See those birds... Remember what Jesus said, look at, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns. But yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not of, are you not of more value than they? And how many of us freak out about tomorrow? Am I going to be provided for? How am I going to be provided for? He's like, look, just look at the birds. You never saw a bird with a worm farm. I mean, I, I've never seen one. Where they got those things on ice, like all of a sudden you're in your backyard having a barbecue and they come to steal your ice because they need to keep the worms on ice so they keep a little longer. Right? It doesn't happen. If God provides for the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for us? And we freak out. But if we were to stop and smell the roses and admire what God has made and see, oh, God's got this. I mean, if God can keep 8 billion people with gravity on the earth, he's got my situation. So stop and smell the roses. Go outside. Dance in the rain. Get a suntan, just not too long. 
Enjoy what God has made. And all the while, give God glory because all this stuff gives God glory. It declares his glory every, at every single turn of every single day. Now, in verse 7, we move to the next type of revelation. Look at what it says. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now we have the specific revelation of Scripture. The specific revelation of Scripture. And my exhortation is, get your face in the book. I would extend that to say, get off of Facebook and get your face in the book. But I didn't have enough room for all that. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be on Facebook. Don't get me wrong. If that was the case, I would be hypocrite number one in real time. But the idea is, is get off of Facebook and get your face in the book. Someone's, I hear giggles out there. That's good. You can use that. Pretend like I didn't even say it, you know. But this is the specific revelation of God. It's specifically in Scripture. Now, you're going to notice there's these six declarations. They have nouns, verbs, and adjectives. Speaking of what God's Word is, its benefits, and its qualities. And this is why Pastor Bill, in feeling led with the leaders of the church to start Crossroads, has always done what we'll always do in the future is we are a Bible-teaching church. And not like we just say we're teaching the Bible and then we talk about whatever we want to. We actually like, hey, the Bible is God's word and we are down with that because it's God's specific revelation. God wasn't contented with a general revelation of what he created. He's like, I'm going to give you specific things in a book. And that is why we say, and I'm saying, get your face in the book. Spend time there. Now, let's go. Notice all of the nouns. Right, So each one of these six, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the law, the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the judgment of the Lord. Do you see these? Now, I don't believe that David in writing this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit was trying to get us to nitpick about what does each one mean? Because this is what you would call being poetic, He could have used a million other words for these same things. He's going back. It's about the word of God. It's about the the words that God has given to us in the Bible. And he calls them by all these different things. Now, sure, there's some different variations in what all these words mean. The law, the Torah speaks of the first five books, the testimony of the Lord. God's, um, what he's declaring is the truth, the statutes of the Lord. He's talking about statutes, commandments, judgments, all of these things. They all speak of, again, God's, what he's saying is right. The fear of the Lord is interesting. That they would call God's word the fear of the Lord. Why? Well, because the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So God's word is about wisdom. Together, these terms show the practical purpose of revelation, to bring God's will to bear on our hearts. 
That's why we have a book from Genesis to Revelation. Because God wants his will to be born in our lives, in your life, and in my life. And as Christians, we are growing every single day in this regard. I said it a few weeks ago that if all we do is eat once a week on a Sunday, or for those of you who come out on Wednesday, twice a week, if all you eat is two meals a week, you're not going to be healthy. You have to feed yourself every single day. Every single day. Because God, that, this is how God's will is brought to bear in our life. As we read it, we have an alternative stimuli in our lives that cause us to live a different way. We get pumped with one way of living from our culture. Not all of it's bad, but not all of it is good either. So as we read the word, as we hear the word taught, as we marinate ourselves in the word, all of a sudden now we get a whole other way of looking at the world. The world says, be freaked out. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. The world says, it's all about you. You have to look out for yourself. If you don't look out for yourself, who will? And the Bible says, you need to serve everybody and God's looking out for you. And on the fundamental foundational principles, there's a difference of opinion. Maybe some of the, the, the specific details may be the same. But God's word, it's his law. It's the fear of the Lord that brings wisdom. It's his ordinances, his testimony, how God is working. That's what's in Genesis to Revelation, what we call the Bible. Now, notice the adjectives or the qualities. Notice this. The law of the Lord is perfect. And the idea that it's blameless, it's sure. And the idea that it's trustworthy or faithful. Notice the statutes of the law of the Lord are right, which means it's upright, it's straightforward. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That means it's unmixed, it's flawless, it's clean, as opposed to dirty or unclean. It's true. Speaks of dependability or an absence of falsehood. And notice it says, the judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear something is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous, I think to myself, I need to know what that's all about. Because logic would dictate if you have access to what is right, what is true, what is pure, then you're going to say, hey, I want to live my life based on that. These are the qualities of the word of God. It's why they're there. Now, I want you to notice the verbs or the benefits here. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I like that. God's word has a restorative quality that gives healing to the whole person by assuring forgiveness and giving life. Do you realize that, that we are all in the process of being transformed and converted every day? Sure, we're converted on the day of our justification, on the day of our salvation, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But then every single day, we are in the process of being converted all over again. Not that you get born again again. And again and again and again. Well, some of us have done that, right? Where we've gotten saved at church like a hundred times. We just like doing the walk down the aisle, right? You like hearing people cheer for you in church. It's not a bad thing. But the reality is that every single day, we need a good washing, don't we? We need to hear it again. 
I've heard it said this way, that we need the gospel as much today as on the day that we got saved, and I believe that. Every single day, I need to be reminded about what I believe, why I believe it, what's at stake if I choose to live in rebellion against it, because sometimes we forget, right? It converts the soul. It's about transformation. Isn't that what we really want? We all want to be transformed. Not the same old ho-hum life just trying to make it through. We're saying, God, I want to be changed, transformed from who I am on my own to who you are in me. Not only that, notice what it says in the second one. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I like that. God's word makes us wise. And I love that that dichotomy, making wise the simple. See, what's interesting is that we live in a culture, we have such access to education, not knocking it, big fan of it. But we have a tendency to say, hey, wisdom comes from all this information. God likes to make wise the simple that no one would glory in his presence. He makes, he used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Not only that, look at what happens. The statutes of the Lord, this is verse 8, are right, rejoicing the heart. Pastor Bill said it recently, that joy is an inward smile. God's word makes your heart rejoice because it tells of his love. It tells of the fact that even though we're all messed up in so many ways, God's love is still there for us. And that brings joy, that God's not finished with us yet, that we're not getting graded on how we did yesterday. We get graded graded on the finished work of Jesus in our life. That brings joy to our hearts. Not only that, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This brings clarity of vision. It helps us to see clearly. It takes us out of darkness, brings us into light. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's word is unchangeable. It's unchangeable. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then in verse 10, we have another set of benefits, which I'll get to in a second. Now, this is why, because of God's word, it's a specific revelation. This is why Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It was inspired by God to make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That idea of completion speaks of maturity. God's word brings us to maturity. You see why I say get your face in the book, right? If all these things are true, then we should be pursuing this radically. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. For there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus is real. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with some important information about his book entitled, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. 
Thanks, Josh. Writing my second book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus in Our Messy Lives, was a huge milestone for me. It personally helped me to clarify some of the meaning behind the mess of this life. I talk about acknowledging the mess, finding resolution, pursuing God, and finally about the love that Jesus has for us. I'm so excited about this book, and I want to make sure that every Jesus is Real radio listener has a copy. I'm going to pass things over to Josh. He's going to tell you how to get your very own copy of Honestly. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Honestly, Getting Real about Jesus and our messy lives is an insightful, simple-to-read book that helps make sense of the messiness we call life. We know Jesus never promised that our lives would be pain-free, but He did promise that He would always be there with us while in the midst of the mess. We want to make sure and get a copy of Honestly into your hands. Throughout the month of February, we are offering Daniel's book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more. Your support helps us continue this important ministry and even expand. It's pretty simple. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. There you can give your gift of $20 or more. And again, we'll send you your very own copy of Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives as a thank you for your support. Again, to partner with us, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner to get your copy of Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to thank you for joining us today and may God bless you. Where we need